0: Into the choir. That was wonderful. It's that, um, that road to Calvary that we're inviting you to come back and and prayerfully and imaginatively walk this evening as we journey together through the Stations of the Cross. So five o'clock, we have a, a short little teaching on the stations, their background, um, and that'll sort of set the stage. So you want to be here at five um, in order to journey together. I also want to take a quick moment to say thank you to all of those who volunteered at the glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt yesterday. I think we had over 500 people come through our doors, and um, it was because of you and Amy and her team. So thank you so much for serving. We are jumping into Jonah chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can flip there, swipe there, click there, however you want to get there this morning. It's the final message in our series on Jonah as we continue to journey towards the cross and the, the resurrection. And we've been utilizing this book of Jonah to, to lead us to Easter. And we've been saying throughout this series our part of our goal has been to rescue Jonah from veggie tales and the flannel board. Okay? That we often view this as a kid's story. If you've been coming over the last few weeks, so I, I hope you realize by this point this is Uh, certainly applicable to kids, but but it's no kid's story, is it? Uh, There's a lot of depth and a lot of beauty and a lot of subtlety and nuance and, and sort of hints and winks and nods in the book of Jonah, and it's intended not for kids, but for adults. See, the story of Jonah is a story of a resentful prophet who encounters a relentless God. And in week one, we said that Jonah can sort of be split in half, that the first half of Jonah gives us one message, and the second half of Jonah builds on that and gives us another message, and the the first half of Jonah, Jonah shows us what it's like to run from God through outright willful disobedience, doesn't he? See, Jonah gets this call from God, he's a prophet from God, and he's told to go into. Preach against Nineveh that their wickedness has risen up before God, and God's calling him to go to Nineveh, which is about 500 plus miles east of where he was. And Jonah hops on a ship and heads for where? Tarshish, yeah. And so Jonah is outright disobedient and saying to God, God, I know what you've asked me to do, but thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. And you'll remember that we were wondering throughout the entire first few chapters of Jonah, why is Jonah running? And the narrator strings us along, doesn't give us that answer until we get to chapter four, where Jonah said last week, if you were here, said to God, I knew it. I knew you were slow to anger. I know you were merciful and abounding in steadfast love. I knew it. My worst nightmares come true. (laughs) That's what you're like. That's what you're like. And in this disobedience, what we see is that God pursued Jonah through a storm, through a fish, and vomited him out onto dry ground. (laughs) That's one way to run from God. But there's another way to run from God also. So you can run from God outside the walls of the church, say, no, thank you, God, I'll do things my way, or you can run from God inside the walls of a church. You can run from him by saying, okay, so God, here's the deal. If I do all the right things, and if I accomplish all the right religious duties, well, then you and I will be good, right? And if we're good, that means you have to do what I say you should do. So for Jonah, his disobedience, his disobedience he ran, but in his obedience, he was running also. And we're going to see that God doesn't let him get off that easy. He continues to pursue Jonah even in that disobedience, in the church, religious disobedience. God, I'll do what you ask me to do. But instead of sending a fish in a storm, this time he sends a story. He sends a story. Reminded me of a story I heard a while back about a guy by the name of Kyle McDonald. Has anyone ever heard of this guy? He did this experiment. Uh, you may have done a similar experiment in youth group, if you were in youth group, called Bigger Better. Anybody ever played this game? You start with something small, and you go door to door in a neighborhood, and you just ask them, hey, I've got this pen. Do you have anything bigger, better? And you get whatever they give you that's bigger and better. You give them said pen, and you go on. And eventually, we've had people come back with couches and washing machines and stuff like that, Right? Well, Kyle McDonald tried the same thing online, and he started with a red paper clip. He traded that red paper clip for a fish pen, and eventually, a year later, he traded a role in a movie, which someone had given him, for a house. Bigger, better. See, here's the thing with bigger, better. Whatever you're trading, you have to give up. You can't hold on to both. You can't say, I want the house and the movie role." You've got to give one up in order to receive the bigger and the better. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that there are some things that you and I are holding on to this morning that Jesus says, I've got something bigger and better for you. I've got something that would transform your life if if you would receive it. It's the very same thing that he wants Jonah to wrap his heart and his mind around this morning. I've got something bigger, better, but but in order to get you to move in that direction, you're going to have to open your hands. And in order to get Jonah to open his hands, God sends him a story. Jonah chapter 4. You there? We're picking up in verse 5 where we left off last week, and I'm going to read this entire section because uh, it's all one thought, it's one movement, it's one story that God is going to tell through Jonah's life. He's going to invite him into a situation. When Jonah went out of the city, verse 5, and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there, he sat under the shade until he should see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord appointed a plant. Now, you're going to see that throughout this passage of Scripture, God's going to appoint a plant, a worm, a wind, and he's going to appoint a point, okay? He wants to make a point with Jonah. And he's been appointing things all throughout the book of Jonah. You'll remember, God appointed Jonah to go and share his message. God appointed a wind that came up and a storm that raged. God appointed a fish. God's been appointing all throughout the book of Jonah, and we're going to see him continue to do that as he tells this story through Jonah's life. Now, the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that there might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly, say that word with me, exceedingly, yep, yep, that's the way you're supposed to read it. He was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked that plant, and so it withered. Wah, wah, wah. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than it is to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said back to God, you better believe it. I'm downright ticked off. Sort of, that's what he said. You pity the plant, verse 10, for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and, and also much cattle? Okay, so turn to the next page to keep going. <laughs> How many of you did? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it ends and you go, wait, wait, what? Like, that's the ending? Like, God giving a shout out to cattle? That's the ending. That's the point. (laughs) Remember we said back when we started this series that there's a lot of debate as to whether or not Jonah is intended to be read as history or whether Jonah is intended to be read as parable. And what we said at that point was that that you can choose either way to read Jonah, but don't miss this. Don't miss the fact that Jonah is clearly intended to be read, read as prophetic. It throws the ball back in our court to say, okay, what are we gonna do with this story? How are we going to wrestle with the prophet Jonah? What are we going to do with some of the things that we hold on to that are just maybe, just maybe a little bit too small? Like, what, 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 what do we do with this invitation God gives us? I've got something bigger, and I've got something better. See, for Jonah, what was too small for Jonah was the lens through which he viewed the world. The way that he saw the story that God was telling, the way that he saw the grace that God had, the way that he saw the love that God had for the people around him. And see for Jonah and maybe for you and for me. Like we've grown up in a context, haven't we? We've grown up and we've had a certain view of life probably for a lot of our life. We were born into a certain family. We were born with certain privileges. We were born with certain things to our name, maybe we had two parents at home, maybe we didn't, but, but we were all born with a set of circumstances, listen to me here, that shape the way that we see the world around us. And Jonah was too. And what God is not so gently saying to Jonah is, the perspective you have on the world, Jonah, is not quite accurate. Ours might not be either, right? Like, our perspective might be, I've worked hard for everything that I have, and people around me should work hard too. And if you're suffering, and if you're down a little bit, it's because you're not working hard enough. Why can't you be a little bit more like me, right? And so we look at the world, and it's everybody's fault if they're not as good as we are, right? Yeah, Jonah looks at Nineveh, and he sees people who are unlike him, completely unlike him, different God, different approach to life, and he can't seem to step into a Ninevite's shoes and walk a mile in them to see where they're coming from. He can't imagine their upbringing. He can't imagine what their life might have been like. He can't imagine getting fed pagan religion from day one. So will you look up at me for just a moment? I'm pretty passionate about this. I think it's easy to look at people and come up with a story as to why they're not in the same place we are, whether it's in their beliefs or in their economic situation or you name it, a ton of different ways. What if, what if, what if we started to adopt this view? If I had grown up the way they'd grown up, if I'd had the experiences that they had, if I've walked through the things that they'd walked through, I'd probably do and believe exactly what they do and believe. But when we started there, like Jonah can't start there, and so God has to come and has to tell him a story, and the story is meant to make Jonah as uncomfortable as we might be right now. (laughs) It's meant to... Paint him a picture of the very last thing that Jonah wants to see. And it's this one big word. The word is, are you ready for it? It's what this entire section is all about. The word is grace. Jonah, your calling as a prophet, grace. Jonah, your placement in Israel, grace. Jonah, that storm that came, grace. Jonah, the fish that swallowed you? Jonah, the second chance that you got? A few people are catching on, right? Jo- Jonah, the way I treated you in your disobedience? Grace. Jonah, the way that I love you? Grace. Jonah, the very breath that you just took? It's all grace. It's all grace from top to bottom. I love the way that Dallas Willard said it. I know you're shocked to hear me quoting Willard, but here, just, just go with me on this. Here's the way that Dallas Willard said it. He said, grace is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. See, oftentimes we think just simply, grace is simply what saves us and what gets us in the door of Christianity. But the truth of the matter is, friends, is that grace is the very thing that carries us the entire way. And Jonah can't see it, and it's often hard for us to see it too because we have to admit that there are things that we cannot do on our own. (laughs) A lot of us, a lot of us assume that God's grace isn't active in our lives because we assume we're way better than than we actually are. We think it's us. And we forget, hey, lean in, we forget that every good and perfect thing in our life is a gift from whom? Everything. Everything. Yeah, Jonah is blind to God's blessing. And here's the truth of the matter, friends, that you and I, whatever we end up putting into our life, right, the the story we tell ourselves is the story we tell. Whatever we put into our lives eventually comes out of our life. So My mom used to have this saying that drove me crazy because she wanted me to get rid of some music that, that she didn't think aligned with the way of Jesus, and she was probably right. But here's what her saying was, um, garbage in, garbage out. And I'm like, oh, I hate that, mom. Stop it, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Gratitude in, gratitude out. Oh, the narrative, I've got to perform in order to be loved. That's what you start projecting onto everyone around you. I've made it on my own. Make it on your own. I'm forgiven. Forgive. I've been given grace give grace. You want to know what's going in? Look at what's going out. And what God wants to say to Jonah is, Jonah, if you accept grace personally, and you should because it's all around you, it's the very breath that you took, if we accept grace personally, we must be willing to extend it universally. So Jesus tells a story. He tells a story of this king, this master who has a servant that owes him $6 billion. And the servant is unable to pay the master. Imagine that. The master comes to him and says, I'm going to forgive all of the debt that, I, that you owe me. Go in peace. <laughs> and that same servant has a servant of his own who owes him $12,000. Now, which is more, $6 billion or $12,000. That you're good at math, you're good, that's what I like about you, yeah. (laughs) And the servant says to his servant, if you can't pay me back, you're going to jail. In fact, you're going to jail until you're able to pay me every last dime. And Jesus tells his story. And the punchline is this. The master summoned him, called to the forgiven, the person he'd forgiven, and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Yeah, what you receive, you have gotta be willing to give. God is pressing on Jonah's life about some ways that he's out of line, about some ways that he doesn't love justice and mercy and faithfulness, the very three things that Jesus would say centuries later are the weightier things of the law. Jonah's not there. Jonah doesn't love it. And so God starts to tell him this story, and he wants to give him a bigger and better, hey, Jonah, let me put something bigger, better in your life so that something bigger and better can come out of your life. So let's dig in just a little bit in the few minutes we have left to see what that looks like in this passage. It says this, verse 5, Jonah went out to the city and he sat east of the city. Now, there's a subtle wink and nod from the narrator here. When we read east of a city, we're probably intended to think, oh, east of Eden, Right? Yeah, like east of, east of paradise. Jonah's walked through from the west. He's got all the way through the city. He's east of the city, but not just geographically, spiritually also. He's a little off. A lot a bit off. Okay. <laughs> and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what became of the city. Question. What's he hoping becomes of the city? (laughs) Oh, yeah, have you ever gotten early to a fireworks show and put down your blanket and got out your cooler and your popcorn and a beverage of choice and and you just waited? Yeah, that's what Jonah's doing. (laughs) And he's waiting for the same thing. Fireworks. (laughs) He wants a front row seat. For Nineveh getting absolutely demolished. He wanted the same thing that the disciples suggested to Jesus after they walked through a Samaritan town. The Samaritan town didn't accept Jesus, didn't invite him in, and so the disciples said to him, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, they're just echoing Elijah, right? They're just, they're going biblical on the city? Jonah just wants to see some Sodom and Gomorrah action. Jesus says to them, he turned to them, he rebuked them, and he said, and he rebuked them, and he went on to another village. He's like, boys, come on. (laughs) That's not our way. that's That's not who we are. That's not what we do. See, What if we started to trust that our flourishing, your flourishing is connected to the success of others, not to their demise? Jonah has this narrative in his head, a really small narrative, a really tired narrative. If my enemy loses, then I win. There's two ways for me to go up a few rungs on the ladder. One is to actually go up a few rungs on the ladder. The other is for the person in front of me to slip back a little. And that's what he believes, and that's what starts to come out of his life. But what if we started to have a different, better story? What if we started to, along with the Apostle Paul, say, like, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you have an enemy? Absolutely. Yes, you do. The powers of darkness, spiritual darkness, that are very present in our world. But look up at me for just a second. You have never laid eyes on a human enemy, ever, at least according to the scriptures. You can decide if you want to be a disciple of the way of Jesus or not. But if you're a disciple, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, if we can get a hold of grace... If we can start, if that's a story that gets in us and the story that eventually starts to get out of us, like how might that free us from looking at people as the enemy and somebody to be jumped over rather than saying, oh, I want your success. How does that work? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Grace puts us all in the same boat, doesn't it? The only entrance into the kingdom of God is a place of need, a place of dependency. No one beats their chest into the kingdom. No. No, we come saying, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one request, my only claim. God, I need you. I need you. But what if we also had in our mind, what if grace freed us to to believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? And... If God is for us, who can we be against? What if it was both? What if it was both? What if those were two sides of the same coin? See, if we accept grace for ourselves, we've got to be willing to give it to other people because we've already said, I didn't get what I deserved, so why then should I want other people to get what they deserve? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, if we accept grace personally, we must extend it universally. I love the way that this came out in the darkest of situations in June of 2016. There's a man by the name of Dylan Roof who walked into an all-black church, a white supremacist filled with hate, walked into an all-black church prayer meeting. They welcomed him with open arms. And then he proceeded to shoot and kill nine of the congregation members. It was shocking. But what was more shocking was what followed. You may have heard the story. But at his trial, family member after family member stood up and said, we forgive you. You've taken something dear from us. But we forgive you. One person was even quoted, a sister of one of the people that was killed was quoted as saying, I acknowledge I'm very angry, but I have no room for hate in my life. So we have to forgive. Forgiveness in, forgiveness out. Our situation may not be that dire. It may be. You may have been abused. You may have been taken advantage of and you're just holding on to, how can I get back at that person? I I can tell you the way that that person keeps getting back at you is by you holding on to it. What if grace started to free us? What if grace started to free us from thinking how we could get back at that neighbor that just parks in front of our driveway or in front of our yard every single time, right? What if grace started to free us from thinking about how we could just edge that person along in the line at Starbucks or Solid Grounds to like order a little bit quicker, please Jesus, right? Like, did you just see the menu when you got up to the front? Like, What if if grace started to free us from thinking about revenge for that ex that broke our heart and shoved it in our face? What if our flourishing was connected to the success of others rather than to the, the demise? I'll tell you what would happen. A scarcity mindset, there's only so much to go around, gone. Competition mindset, gone. Comparison mindset, gone. You know what starts to awaken in us when we receive this kind of grace is we become people who are just passionate, ubiquitous encouragers. I love that um, Teresa and our communications team this week, they they put out this this little picture on Instagram. If you don't follow us on Instagram, you should because Teresa does all sorts of cool stuff like this. But she said this, take the next 60 seconds to pray for someone going through a tough time. And man, that hit me at exactly the right moment. I looked at that, and I knew the person. Like, what if we became those kind of encouragers? Where we didn't celebrate other people's mishaps and other people's sin and other people the way that they took a step back, but we actually came alongside and said, my success is actually tied to yours. We're in the same boat. If you get better, so do I. So do we. I think us versus them is pretty tired, don't you? What if this week you just made it a point to encourage people? Here's how the story goes on. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant. And he made it come up over Jonah so that it might have shade over his head to save him from his what? Discomfort. Yeah. So Jonah's like, hey, God, finally we're on the same page. <laughs> God. God, finally, you're on my page. I'm uncomfortable, and you've appointed something to take away the discomfort. Thank you. Finally being all Yahweh-ish for me, right? So Jonah was exceedingly glad. I mean, Jonah's a little emo, isn't he? He's exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant. So the plant withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east- wind. And God is breaking Jonah down physically so that his eyes start to open spiritually. Right? He's getting him to this place where he's going to be willing to finally, finally, finally hear Yahweh. Scorching each wind, the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Make a note of that in your head, verse 8. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry to the plant? Does this sound familiar? Do you do well to be angry, right? Last week, we talked about our miss conceptions about who God is, that picture of God we had, have in our mind that, that often isn't totally accurate or totally right. Last week was about how Jonah was wrong about God. Now this week is about how Jonah's wrong about everyone around him. But God's question is still the same. It's pastoral. It's, it's a counselor coming alongside him. Jonah, what, is that, how's that working out for you? And he said, <clears throat> yes, I do well to be angry, angry, enough to die. God said to him, you pity that plant for which you did not labor and you did not make it it grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. How long did Jonah have the plant? Yeah, one, one day essentially. And God's saying to him, hey, Jonah, you've developed like a codependent relationship on this plant. You have an affection for this plant in one day. And there's all these people, Jonah, that you can't seem to gain an affection for. And, and Jonah, uh, you knew that plant for one day, but how long, Jonah, have I known Nineveh? And Jonah, what did you do? Let's talk about what you did to make that plant grow. Tell me about how you tilled the ground. Tell me about how you put fertilizer on it. Tell me about how you planted the seed. Tell me about how you watered it. And tell me about how you caused it to grow, Jonah. I'll wait. A lot of people wrestle with this plant growing up overnight. Just, it's just, it was miracle grow, okay? <laughs> so, so Jonah, tell me what you did. Oh, oh, nothing, nothing. Jonah, Jonah, tell me why that plant was so important to you. Well, it's hot and it helped. <laughs> and you can imagine God maybe saying to Jonah, oh, okay, okay, Jonah, so now I get it, now I get it. The way that we determine whether or not something has value is whether or not it's beneficial to you. Is that right? Is that the way that you want me to run the universe, Jonah? If it has value to me, then I keep it around. If not, the fire rains down. Is, Jonah, is that is that how we should live? Jonah, is that how we should do, and Jonah, even your own reasoning breaks down. I mean, he said, God says to him, like, hey, Jonah, so that plant, you grew to love that plant, in one day, how much greater are animals, not cats, but most animals, incl- more valuable, just kidding, had to once, how much more valuable are animals than plants? So he goes, what about the cows? What about the cows? And then, and then, how much more valuable than the animals? Are the crown jewel of my creation. And God sort of pins him in. And Jonah's affection is tied to productivity, it's tied to utility, it's tied to being beneficial. And I think he probably thinks that about God too, right? Because what we put in, <laughs> I'm beneficial if I produce, is what we, what? think God not so subtly wants to say to Jonah, what if, what if Jonah, what if South Fellowship? We affirm that the value of people is based on inherent worth, not on personal benefit. Like what if the way that we viewed the world, the parts of it that we love and the parts of it that we lament, the people we agree with and the people we disagree with, what if we had the truth in the back of our mind that Jesus is life and his invitation to us is to hold out that life to every single person because you have never met somebody who doesn't carry the image of God on their life and you imagine Jonah going I've got a question about this even Nineveh, even brutal Nineveh, even violent Nineveh, even socially unjust Nineveh, even they have worth to you, Yahweh. This is what I was worried about. And you just imagine God saying back to Jonah, even that. My son Reed loves to build these like um, magnet towers. So he puts a number of magnets together and he'll stack them on our coffee table and then he'll stand back and just admire his work. And, and luckily this only happens every day, but um, <laughs> one of his siblings will walk by and accidentally nudge the coffee table and it just goes down, right? Right? And I look at it and go, it's just some magnets. It's just like, it's just a Nineveh. Who cares? He does. Why? Because he built it. He's invested in it. And God's looking at Jonah going, I'm invested in it. Oh yeah, they don't know the right hand from their left. Um, they are they are wrong, they're sinful, they're evil. I have judged them. I'm calling them to repentance. I want them to let go of their violence. But in the midst of all of that, I love them and I'm for them. What if when we embrace the kingdom of God, we realize that we had to get on board with what God views his most valuable possession is? And you know what that is? People. People, it's his inheritance. It's who he gave his son for that we'll celebrate in next week. Don't miss it, <laughs> right? But what Jonah missed was that Israel wasn't loved more than others. They were chosen to hold the love of God out to others. Read Genesis 12. It's the story of God from the very beginning. No one, no one, look up at me for a moment, friends. No one is expendable. You've never laid eyes on a mere mortal, according to C.S. Lewis. So this should affect the way that we view the world. It should affect the way that we view abortion. It should affect the way that we view healthcare. It should affect the way that we view immigration. It should affect the way that we view education. Because those aren't just policies. There are people that are attached to those. And people are important to God. And if our relationship with Jesus doesn't change our relationship with other people, can I just gently press on you and suggest that maybe, just maybe, we don't actually have a relationship with Jesus? So I don't know what it looks like for you this week. But but maybe it looks like slowing down a little bit. Maybe that's your practice. Maybe a practice for this week to affirm the value of all people is to look people in the eye. People that annoy you, people that are too slow for you, people that are in your way. Uh, Maybe it's to make a really awkward uh, phone call or text message or an awkward visit to your neighbor to invite him to come to Resurrection Sunday with you. It's going to be a celebration. You don't want to miss it, and you don't want them to miss it either. I don't know what it looks like for you, but will you ask Jesus? Because I think he might have some ideas. Why should I not pity or have compassion on Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And there's also a lot of cattle. I mean, yeah, yeah, it ends and we go, man, God loves him some cattle. (laughs) Not a vegetarian, evidently, right? (laughs) Praise be to God. Yeah, should I not envy or should I not pity, should I not have compassion for Nineveh? It's like God was saying, I was only doing for Nineveh what you insisted was right to do for the plant. Like, Like Jonah, just be consistent. When they don't know their right hand from their left, it's similar to as the people are nailing the nails into Jesus's hand, and we'll get a chance to walk that journey later on together this evening. But as the perpetrators are nailing the nails into Jesus's hand, what's his prayer? Forgive them. They they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They aren't innocent. They're ignorant. They're ignorant. (laughs) Yeah, in week one, I suggested that this book, the arc of this book is compassionate irony. (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) That's the point. And in verse eight, listen to what Jonah says. It's better for me to die than to live. I think, ironically, he's right. He's right. But what Jonah needs to die to is his pride. What Jonah needs to die to is his privilege. What Jonah needs to die to is his particularism. What Jonah needs to die to is his perspective. Jonah, it's all grace, and your view is way too small. Yeah, yeah, that's what Jonah needs to die to. Maybe, maybe just maybe, that's what we need to die to also. See, embracing God's will, when we pray, thy kingdom come, your will be done. That means that we embody God's compassion. Yeah, this wasn't a journey that ended with Jonah, was it? It's a journey that presses on us. It's a journey that Jesus called people to live out at every turn. He got in trouble for hanging out with the Ninevite types, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, they said to, the Pharisees said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, those are the people we're trying to avoid. That's Nineveh. But when he heard it, Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Then he gives them some homework. Go, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Compassion, that we would look at the world differently. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Let's go learn what that means. Let's swallow that story. Let's let it get out of us. I think that's probably how they felt when the book of Jonah ended. (laughs) Go in peace. Go learn what that means. If you'd like prayer, we'll have our elders and our prayer team up front here. We'd count it a joy to pray with and for you. We'll see you back here tonight, 5 o'clock.